time in four years the MLS Cup playoffs kicked off last night and Toronto FC were not involved. Instead they spend this week preparing for a very different challenge. From top to bottom the club will now start to work on assessing what exactly went wrong in 2018 and how they can make sure it does not happen again. Toronto FC spent Monday and Tuesday cleaning out their lockers at the BMO training ground and meeting with press at their season-ending press conference. My name is Mitchell Tierney. I was not in attendance during those two days, but our guest this week was. Michael Leach of 680 News joins us now to talk about the parting words of the 2018 campaign for Toronto FC. Michael, great to have you back on. Well, thanks very much for having me, Mitchell. Well, let's start uh, before we get into all the the stuff that happened at those press conferences. Let's start by looking back at decision day where Toronto FC, uh, it actually ended the, they, they ended the season on a fairly positive note, a four, one win over Atlanta United. They denied them the supporters shield and the points record as well. Um, that points record would eventually fall. However, to the New York Red Bulls, um, who would also claim the Supporters' Shield. But um, I guess at least uh, good for Toronto FC to um, be able to deny it on their home field. But it must be a, a very disappointing bookend for them that uh, th- that record did fall uh, at the end. Yeah, it's obviously disappointing for them. They wanted to uh, they wanted to have last season matter. And, and Greg Vanny had said that, you know, going into going into the weekend that they they wanted to at least maintain the share because obviously uh, Atlanta had already gotten into a share of the 69 points uh, with Toronto FC's 2017 record. So, you know, it was important to them that last season matter, and they showed that against Atlanta. And obviously, yeah, the, the, the record does fall, but there wasn't a whole lot that TFC could do about that on the day because... You know, the the New York Red Bulls were playing against Orlando. So, uh, but, you know, they did take care of what they had to do against Atlanta United. And I think that was very telling. I think it was telling that that last year's record mattered to them. And they also, despite the fact that they really didn't have a whole lot to play for, there was a measure of pride. And I think they showed character. And I, I think that's very, very telling for fans going forward about, about the character that this team showed, at least on that day. And it also shows that, I mean, Atlanta's Atlanta United is, is probably one of the favorites, if not the mm-hmm. favorite to win MLS cup. Uh, I wouldn't have them as my choice, but we'll get into that later, <laughs> but they're, they're definitely one of the top teams in this league. And TFC showed that not only can they still compete with the top teams in the league, they can beat the top teams in the league pretty badly. And I think that should give fans a lot of hope as they go away from the 2018 season. The team is going to do some soul searching now over the off season and get ready for next year. But, um, you know, certainly beating Atlanta United, I-, I think it sends a message that, you know, despite having a poor season, TFC is still a team to be reckoned with. Yeah, and obviously one of these teams, uh, they still have to get the job done in the playoffs. As you said, Atlanta and the New York Red Bulls will both be favorites going in. But if they really want to match that incredible Toronto FC season, uh, they have a lot of work to do. Let's talk about the, the other side of decision day, the fact that there's no Canadian teams now in the MLS Cup playoffs. Uh, Montreal were the only team who could have potentially made it on that decision day, but uh, were unable to get the job done. But uh, in terms of, obviously, you were up at at the BMO training ground for that season-ending press conference. That was absolutely nothing like what we saw in Vancouver with (laughs) some just ugly scenes. I mean, basically, almost everyone in the clubs uh, reiterated the fact that it was an incredibly divided dressing room. Um, There was talk of people not playing for the shirt. They're probably second-best player behind Alfonso Davies, who obviously is on his way out to Bayern. Um, and Kendall Waston and their captain as well said there's no way he's returning next season. Uh, I mean, I've been to several Toronto FC, uh, you know, 
uh, end of season press conferences. There was the one where, um, like shortly after we found out, Daniil Henry was actually on loan at Toronto FC from from other cl- or from a club uh, in Cyprus. Um, obviously, the Jermaine Defoe year. There's been some weird uh, end of season press conferences, but absolutely nothing like that. And obviously, a, a bizarre off season for all three Canadian teams this year. Uh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, it, you know, there are concerns with with Toronto FC, and I think there are concerns with the locker room that you know, and, and we'll get into that in a few moments. Uh, but that Vancouver situation, and and now with Davies leaving, and and Waston saying that he wants out as well, it's it's going to be, you know, for the for the Vancouver front office, it's going to be. You know, talk about soul searching in Toronto. They've got, they may have a massive over overhaul on their hands in Vancouver. It, clearly, there are some major, major issues in that locker room for players to come out and say some of the things that they did publicly. And that's the thing. There, there are issues in every locker room. Let's not kid mm-hmm. ourselves. It's, it's no different than any other workplace. You're, you're going to get along with some of your coworkers better than. Than others, and there are going to be some people that you don't don't like, but you work together as a team. To have it come out as publicly and explosively as it did in the Vancouver uh, uh, end of season uh, media availabilities, that's that's telling me that's really telling me that there is a a very very serious problem in that room, and I know some of it stems from I, I know and I know Waston was unhappy about um, about Carl Robinson being let go as, as the head coach. So I don't know whether there are some, you know, very significant hurt feelings on the part of, of Waston towards the front office, but also to have guys like Daniil Henry and Russell Tybert and a few others say that one of the things that has to happen with the Whitecaps over the course of the offseason is they have to have guys who are committed to the shirt and who are committed to the club and put that ahead of everything else. And the shirt is the most important thing. And I I think for fans and supporters, the shirt is the most important thing. It's not the name on the back. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that's going to have to happen in Vancouver over the course of this off season. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know where they go from here, but obviously they're going to have to to address the Waston situation. I mean, Felipe was in tears. It, it's been an ugly year in, in Vancouver, and, and I think sometimes fans, and we as media as well, often forget that these people are humans. They have human feelings. They have human emotions that sometimes we don't always see. Um, that Vancouver situation, man, there's there's a lot of heated emotions there for sure. Oh, certainly, yeah. It's uh, like, like I said, I I can't remember seeing a season-ending press conference that's gone off the rails like that. And uh, I don't know if I was fully expecting it. Obviously, I'm not out in Vancouver, so um, I don't get to interact with that team on a day-to-day basis. But that that's a, an incredible amount of of blowback to to end a season. But there was a little bit, as you mentioned, with Toronto FC, kind of a a similar, you know. Maybe not similar because it certainly didn't get to the level of ugliness or or the players being called out. But there were some underlying mentions of the fact that there were some divisions in the locker room or at least that uh, the focus and the mentality had changed. That was something mentioned by pretty much all players during that that end of season press conference. And probably the quote that's gotten the most play is the fact that Michael Bradley uh, has been saying that players' agendas um, have impacted the team. One of the things he mentioned was the fact that uh, if if his contract uh, was an issue, you'd never hear about it. So uh, maybe some pointed comments there from Toronto FC's captain about uh, how things uh, how things potentially went off the rails this season and how players maybe weren't quite as focused as they were in 2017 when obviously the hyper focus of this team has been uh, well documented. Yeah, I mean, and I I don't know whether Michael was necessarily taking a shot at anyone in particular when he talked about the contract. He was asked specifically about his contract and whether it would be a distraction to him. Mm. And he was very emphatic in his response that his contract has never been an issue. It never will be an issue. It's, it's not, 
you know, it's not something that, that you know, he thinks about too much. Uh, I'm sure it is something that he thinks about. But when it comes to in-season, dealing with training sessions, dealing with games, and focus towards those games, his focus is on the game and not on his contract when he's, you know, in the change room and, and preparing for games and on the field itself playing games. You know, I, I, there... I think what he was trying to get at was that last year, 20, 2017, that team approached every game with a, what he called a singular vision, and it was echoed by, by Greg, Vanny, uh, you know, Bezbachenko, and Manning as well, that when they, when they were pursuing the MLS Cup, they had a very, very clear focus and they had a very, very clear set of goals for the 2017 season, and they met all of those goals. For 2018, the goal or the stated goal going into the season was winning Champions League. But there really wasn't a lot of talk about what comes after Champions League. And I think that's where the focus started to shift away from that singular focus to other individual I don't want to say uh, use the word agendas but that is the word that he used whether those are you know other business agendas personal agendas contracts personal life things just other things got in the way of taking to the pitch every single game with that that notion that you're playing the most important game of the season that night, it's a cup final, which is the way that they approached every single game in 2017. And that was the way they had to approach those games in order to win MLS cup. It's something that they're going to have to get back to in 2019. You mentioned the contracts and obviously we don't, you know, as you, as you said, we don't know exactly who Michael Bradley was talking about and there, there's no necessary indication to say that he was talking about Sebastian Javinko, but obviously that's the one contract that's been uh, the most publicly discussed this season and and Sebastian Javinko at the season-ending press conference kind of saying that um, it's not really his responsibility it's it's on the club to to get him a new contract and he, he's not really worried about it and then uh, of course ending his press conference uh, uh, with a with a laugh uh, kind of a cheeky uh, maybe see you next year statement um, I, I really do think we will see Sebastian Jivinko next year but um, you know what were your thoughts on on kind of his closing words and uh, as we head into next season, which obviously is the well-documented last year of his current contract. Well, it, for for Sebastian Jovinko, obviously I think he would like to get something done sooner rather than later and, and offer himself some more long-term security. Whether the club wants to go in that direction, those are conversations that the club will have, and, and it was made clear that the club will have conversations with all three of its DPs uh, who are all going into the final years of their contracts uh, contracts in, in 2019, they'll have conversations and they'll see if they can find common ground. For TFC, it might be smart to, to, to let next season play out, but as Jovinko sort of hinted at and kind of issued a little bit of a warning, if he is allowed to get to the end of his contract and he has a really good season again next year, he is free to leave. And I, I don't know if your TFC, it's a gamble. And when you get into the contracts, particularly the size of the contract that you're dealing with, with Jovinko, it's a gamble. Because if, if you sign mm-hmm. him to a long-term deal at, at a fairly significant rate of pay, and you start to see, particularly as he gets into his mid-30s, his level of production start to fall off, as we know, and, and, and as we saw this year with TFC, we talk about payrolls. Like, TFC had not just the largest payroll in MLS. It was the largest by a lot mm-hmm. over the, the second-place team, which I think was LA Galaxy, but I'm, I don't have the, those stats in front of me. It's not just the amount of money that they're spending. They have to make sure that they spend that money wisely. And I think that might be... One of the lessons that the front office is going to have to take away from the 2018 season is that 
you can't just outspend every other team and just expect the results to be there. You have to spend the money wisely, particularly in a salary cap league, and I'm not sure that they got the most bang for their buck this year, particularly not uh, when you look at a team like New York Red Bulls, who were by, you know, near the bottom of MLS in terms of payroll, yet they win the Supporters' Shield for, I believe, the third time in six, six years. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously the club is going to sit down with all three of the DPs, discuss their contracts. If they can find common ground, then obviously they'll come to, to agreements. If not, then you, I would agree with you. I think we go into next season, certainly with, with Jovinko and Bradley. Josie, I'm not so sure. I don't know where his head is at right now based on the conversation that we had with him after his final appearance of the season against uh, Vancouver, which admittedly was an emotional time. That was moments after they were eliminated from playoff contention that night. Yeah, you talk about the Josie situation. That's that's an interesting one for me as well because uh, as far as I know, he wasn't at that season-ending press conference. He uh, He's obviously rehabbing from an uh, injury that ended his season. Yeah, he had, um, he had surgery last week as well. Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly, um, to remove some bone fragments from his foot, which is an injury we've seen crop up a lot and that's that's been one of the main concerns with Josie of course during his time with Toronto FC is obviously when he's played he's been an incredible player he could have won two MLS Cups for them if it if it wasn't for that great save from Stefan Fry but you know at some point it does and the the brain trust mentioned this at some point they do want to get younger and you'd think and we've seen some of the moves come in obviously Aro Jr 22 uh both Iger Keche and uh Lucas Hansen were 24 we've seen them spend more money on younger players you wonder at what point they're going to move on from one of these designated players and and replace them with a younger player and uh, at the moment it seems like Josie would be uh the odd one out although obviously that that very much remains to be seen which is interesting because Josie is the youngest of the three. Yeah. Um, but he, as you mentioned, he is, he's been a bit injury prone. And, and this season certainly was... The ankle was an issue from probably the Eastern Conference final. At the, you know, that was where it became very apparent in 2017. Uh, yeah, we remember him going down at BMO Field and then getting up and then scoring the game-winning goal to send them to MLS Cup Final. And then all Mm -hmm. of the questions surrounding Josie going into MLS Cup Final, and we obviously know what he did in that game. But throughout the entire 2018 season, that that ankle was never quite right. And he had surgery on it. I believe it was around the Seattle game at BMO Field back in May. Mm -hmm. And it, it... you know, I think it got better for a little while, but it became an issue again. And I don't know whether, again, when we're talking about a salary cap league and you are constrained in the number of designated player spots that you have, can you afford to have that kind of money? And not only that, not, not you know, and with MLSE, that kind of money is, it's barely a blip. But the designated player slot sitting there and not being able to play for over half of the season, it's a bit of a problem. So, yeah, it's it's one of the things that's going to have to be evaluated. Well, Toronto FC, beyond their designated players as well, have a ton of decisions to make uh, in terms of players next season. 11 players with options. They obviously have the two lone guys as well um, in Lucas Hansen and Aro Jr. that they have to make decisions on. I know they have the option to buy both of them. Uh, I think it definitely depends on on price for both players as they have to buy out their contracts. The, the number we've been we've heard at least from uh his argentine club with with hansen is 3.7 million which would definitely push him up into that designated player range which would be interesting um agra Keche, of course is in the mix as well uh so you know just going to be a very interesting off season for toronto fc and obviously uh one of the big players that i think uh, will be on a lot of people's minds especially considering 
Um, the, the, the defense is the fact that Drew Moore has an option this season and, and whether or not Toronto FC decides to pick up his option because obviously he's been a very reliable and crucial defender for Toronto FC but as is the case with a lot of players this offseason and this is going to be very much a theme uh, he was very much injury prone this past season as well and he's not getting any younger no he's not and yeah that's it I would uh, if 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 I'm in T- Tim Bezbachenko's shoes, I exercise the option in a heartbeat. That's a no-brainer to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you have to do a little bit more to manage his mis- minutes, uh, manage his. You know, maybe he's not playing every single game. If you've got, you know, a midweek game followed by a Saturday or a Sunday game, maybe he sits one of those games out. But his and Greg has said it many, many, many times. Drew, the, the real thing with Drew is his ability to communicate on the pitch. He is the quarterback of that back line, and that was so, so evidently missing throughout so much of this season. When Drew wasn't on the field, that team would, at the back, they looked a little bit lost. They looked disorganized, and that's part of that role that, that Drew plays kind of as the captain of the 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 defense uh, is organizing and getting guys into places where they need to be and just having that mind of seeing the game and seeing what's going to happen maybe even before it happens Drew is very that that's his major major attribute far more than his physical attributes and he's he's a, still physically a very good center back um, but the, the combination between him and Mavinga you know, I, I, the stat was thrown out on, uh, on Tuesday, I believe, by Bill Manning. Mm. And he said that 27 times over the course of this season, one of Drew or Chris Mavinga played. Only two of those 27, they actually played together. Sheesh. And those were in the CONCACAF Champions League. When over the course of those 27 games, their goals against average for those games was 1.37. It's not not great, but it is workable. And at the rate that this team scores with the, uh, with the offensive weapons that they have, you're going to win some games. In the 20 games that they played where w- without either one of those guys, the goals against ballooned to 2.15. When you're conceding two or more goals a game, you're not going to win many games. Even if, you, even if you have a fairly potent offensive attack, you're not going to win a lot of games. And that's, that's where they, they sit. Uh, and I actually figured out, I, I went back through all of the lineups through the 34-game regular season. They played 20 times where one of those two center backs played. And they, if you look at the results, they averaged about 1.15 points per game, which still wouldn't be good enough to make the playoffs. They, they would have, if you were to translate it over in an entire season, it would be 39 points, and that's not enough to make the playoffs. But remember, they never actually played together during the regular season. It was always one or the other. And if you look at the 14 games in which neither one of them played, I think they only put together about 13, 13, 13 points in 14 games, mm. which would, would have been nowhere near enough. So those two guys, I know it's a very long answer to the question. If you want to look at one big area of concern for TFC as to why this season played out the way it did and why they didn't make the playoffs. The fact that those two guys could not stay fit and not stay fit together at the same time is a major, major reason why Toronto FC is not playing now and they're watching other teams play for the MLS Cup that they held up last year. And as Toronto FC um, kind of move into the next season, I know 
Um, they've said that there will be some changes, obviously, uh, as we mentioned, those 11 players on options. Uh, some of them will be gone, um, but there won't be those sweeping changes that, you know, you, you expect sometimes from clubs who have tough seasons like this. I know we've seen a lot of clubs go scorched, scorched earth policy, but uh, under Bill Manning, that's never really been uh, a policy of his. He, I remember reading in Joshua Cloak's book, uh, Come On You Reds, that he has a policy of the rule of 14, he calls it, which is, uh, I believe, something like 10 of his top 14 uh, minute players, or, or players in terms of how many minutes they play, uh, should be returning each season if you if you want to keep club stability. And I think with with what Toronto FC's accomplished uh, two of the past three years, even even last year, if you want to look at CONCACAF and uh, winning the Canadian Championship as well, um, they, they've been able to to accomplish a lot. So they're going to continue to put faith in this core and uh, kind of just cut in the places that they need to for salary cap flexibility and maybe some of the other places that um, didn't perform up to expectation this season, both on and off the pitch. Uh, there was some discussion, obviously, at that season-ending press conference in terms of the places that Toronto FC will be looking at next season um, to improve. Uh, what did, what did management talk about, in, 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 as so far as who they're looking to bring in? Well, the the focus is very much going to be on a centre back that is very much in the mold of Drew Moore, um, younger, a younger version, someone that can eat minutes when Drew can't and that's assuming that Drew is that his option is picked up and that he's brought back again my feelings on that have been made fairly clear but they want someone who can be a communicator at the back because when Drew wasn't available and you had Chris and say Gregory Vanderweel playing in the center back roles the two of them are pretty quiet guys according to Greg Vanny when they're on the field, they're pretty quiet. So the communication sometimes breaks down with other guys and, and possibly another center back if you're playing in a three center back tandem. And, you know, one of the other center backs would probably be either an Eric Zavaleta or a Nick Hagland. And without that communication there, they struggled. Um, to fulfill the roles that they had to to fulfill in order to make sure that they weren't conceding a ton of goals. So they want to, I think that is priority one for TFC is finding a center back who is maybe a little bit more vocal at the back. They also want to look for another attacking option because as Greg Vanny said throughout the, the, the season ending of availability is that TFC or, or, or Vanny believes that the game is going to attacking more from wide areas instead of trying to attack up the middle. The way the game is being played now, cult, the culture of the game is that you do your damage from wide areas, that you're a lot harder to play against when you can play out wide. And that's something that TFC lacked a little bit this year and that they were... They were having difficulty breaking through teams that were wanting to clog up the middle of the field and play on counter, uh, on the counter. So I, they're going to look for an attacking player who can play out in a wide area. Um, I'm not sure who that will be, but that's, that's, those are the two big priorities for TFC going into this offseason. I found it really interesting that Tim Bezbachenko said that he wasn't looking to bring in uh, a center back during that summer window just because, um, you know, the team was already <laughs> already going south a little bit. And, and well, one of the things they thought was potentially that Drew Moore and Chris Mavinga would be back earlier than they would be. Obviously, they, <laughs> the injury situation um, was a big issue for them throughout the season. And we'll, we'll continue to talk about that a little bit later. Um, at the, at the press conference, obviously Bill Manning reiterated his fact that he is behind his coach and GM, even after, um, the tough season that they had. Um, what did you make of that? Because, uh, obviously as we've said, continuity is a big thing for Bill Manning and it's one of the things he was kind of brought into, to, you know, have happen here with Toronto FC because, uh, it's, it's obviously been a big issue. And again, reading Joshua Cloak's book, um, you can definitely see that, that, 
year after year there were so many changes in the past at Toronto FC and that's something that even after this tough season they completely want to avoid uh, both in terms of on the roster and you know in in the in the front office as well yeah I mean and, and to me it, the decisions on Bezbachenko and Vanny and and Vanny he was very clear it was John Molinaro that asked the question about and John actually said I'm going to ask the question because I have to, but I think I already know the answer. Will there be any change with the coach? And Bill was emphatic in in his backing of, of Greg, and it's absolutely the right move. There is no need to change the coach at this point. I think some fans in, in knee-jerk moments where, where emotion comes into play want to see hashtag Vanny out and to me that would be the absolute wrong move a most fans don't see when we as media we go and and it's a little bit of an inside thing here but we go to training we talk to Greg on a daily basis and we usually talk for about 20 minutes and the way that he can detail and break down what has happened what he wants to see happen, how he wants the team to go moving forward and dealing with things that have happened in the past and how goals have happened. This guy is a, he is an absolute student of the game and he's very, very cerebral. He is thinking about football all the time. He is thinking about 2019 right now, guaranteed. It's just the way he is. It's the way that he's wired. He was asked about what his off-season plans are and he's going to take a little bit of time off to, to spend time with family and, and do those things that we as humans do but <laughs> he is already looking at ways to make this this team better going into 2019 and to ensure that what happened in 2018 doesn't happen again and when we look at the way Things played out in 2018. There was so much that happened beyond Greg's control. They would have a lineup set, and he said this, they would have a lineup set going into game day, and the night before the game or even the morning of a game, they would find out that this player that they were going to slot in and use strategically in this way would not be available due to injury because he had tweaked something or just was feeling something and you know the training staff said you can't play him and tactically it forced him to change things almost on the fly you can do that from time to time and get away with it but when it's on a week after week after week game after game basis that's really hard to deal with and the schedule hurt them and they're, they're there are a million reasons why things played out the way they did this year. But as far as Vanny's competence goes, I don't, in my opinion, that's not something that really should be questioned. And let's not forget, this is a team that in 2017, less than a year ago, hoisted MLS Cup. That has to have some value going forward. I know the... the nature of pro sports is now it's like what have you done for me lately and coaches are disposable weeks or months after they've won trophies this team won MLS Cup they've won every trophy that there is to win over the last three years they came within a whisker of winning the CONCACAF Champions League this year which is overlooked because they didn't make the playoffs the season is a failure they came very close to to being the best team in the region. And it was just a penalty shootout that did them in. They also won the Canadian Championship again. As far as the season goes, I know it didn't work out the way that anyone wanted it to, but there are there is a silver lining in there too. So to, to dismiss Greg or Bezbachenko at this point, Bez had a couple of great off-seasons before... Um, before 2018, I know some of the moves that he made, some of the players that he brought in this season didn't work out. But he was responsible for bringing Victor Vasquez here in 2017 to...
be that missing puzzle piece to the MLS Cup puzzle. He brought in uh, in 2016. That was the, the year that he brought in, uh, you know, Irwin and Beta Shore and 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 uh, Drew Moore to shore up the defense. 2015, Josie Seba. Those those are that's Bezbachenko. His fingerprints are all over all, all over this team. Had a you know an off season where players that he brought in didn't work out. I think you got to give both he and Vanny a bit of a mulligan for 2018. If we're sitting here one year from now and we're in the same situation, then obviously you got to reevaluate those two guys. Well, the final thing I wanted to talk about on Toronto FC is you mentioned the injuries that handcuffed coach Greg Vanny throughout the season. And I think there's two main things that have been consistently brought up about that. The one is evidently all their trips down to Mexico and the tough situation that they dealt with that. And obviously they're they're rectifying that at the moment or trying to uh, with their uh, decisions with uh, Kitman Labs or, or their contract with Kitman Labs in terms of uh, the player tracking data that they'll be able to have next season so that they can assess their players better. The other one is a bit closer to home, obviously. The BMO field pitch, uh, especially in that last game against Atlanta United, looked absolutely horrible. Um, It's been a problem throughout the season with the Argos, and obviously a lot of players have brought up the fact that it's not good enough, especially Sebastian Jovinko, but we've seen it throughout the lineup in terms of how people have looked at this field and uh, that, that's one of the things that was addressed at the season ending press conference they are going to go uh, to the hybrid field next season the the grass uh, that, that caused them so many problems this season has already been torn up already going away and they are resurfacing it uh, with something like they have in a lot of the top pitches over in England and in a lot of the leagues that do deal with similar winter conditions um, seems like another positive move for the club in terms of You know, um, finding a surface and investing money that will help these players uh, next season. But uh, obviously, if this continues to be an issue, then um, yeah, I think we're in for a long one next season. Yeah, and I mean, and one thing that was interesting from the season-ending media conference was that Manning said that even though the pitch was a problem and it was a problem right from day one. And that has a lot to do with trying to play soccer in Toronto in on grass in February. That's one thing. <laughs> and the number of games that they played at home early in the season was an issue. But Manning was very clear in saying that the grass at times was used as a bit of an excuse. It was used as a crutch. And they're might be something to that obviously the field was a problem all year long and part of the issue with the grass as it was uh, you mentioned the Atlanta game even you know the last game of the season yeah the Argos are an issue but that's not an issue that's going to go away and frankly the Argos have been there now this was the third season I believe And there were no issues in 2016. There were certainly no issues in 2017. Both teams won their respective leagues. So this year, something else, there was something else that came into play. And a large part of that was the they chose not to take out the field at the end of last year and put in a new field. And they felt that that was a mistake. It was a bit of a 50-50 call. They decided to keep the grass that they had that was a mistake because they couldn't get the proper rooting. The roots didn't didn't take, they didn't grow deep enough. Even with the grow lights and all of the, the cool technology that they have at the stadium, which, you know, they, they have that and they're, they're actually bolstering that. Um, it was mentioned that they only had 60% or grow lights to cover 60% of the pitch and that was a problem. Now they, they will have 100% coverage of the pitch. Um, what they are doing now, and actually the turf that was, was laid in at the end of May, beginning of June, it was never allowed because of the DC game. It was never, it never had enough time to properly root either. And they were playing catch up the rest of the way with that. 
that pitch that you saw against Atlanta has already been removed. It's gone. Um, they are going to plant new grass, and this company Sisgrass, or it's Sis Pitches, but the, the the actual surface is called Sisgrass. As you mentioned, it is similar to what's being used in a lot of other major stadiums around the world. It actually is being used. It was used at a number of the stadiums for for World Cup 2018, including the Luzhniki Stadium, which I think is is going to be an interesting case study for. Emo Field, because the climate is very similar and the usage is very, at the times of year, is, is very similar. My understanding mm-hmm. is the way that this Sisgrass system differs from Deso, which was what was talked about earlier, is that it's the same. It's about 95% natural with 5% polyethylene artificial fibers sewn in to, to the actual grass. Uh, the the difference between Sisgrass and and Deso, and we're getting into the science here, is that the plastic the the Sisgrass is polyethylene, and it's a softer fiber than than mm-hmm. the Deso. And the Deso is a, a I think probably polypropylene. I don't know my chemistry all that well, but it's a harder. What Manning said is that it's a harder, um, harder kind of plastic, and that there are. They've, they've, it's been loosely linked. Um, no direct links, but loosely linked to some impact injuries because it is a very hard surface. Mm. So this is going to be a bit softer. They obviously... Manning is, Manning is very assured that this is going to be the solution. Time will tell, but we'll, you know, obviously we'll see what happens with the field going forward next year. For Champions League, though... It's going to be grass and just grass. They're not coming in until after the Champions League is over. And it takes, a, I think, about a week or two for them to stitch all of these artificial fibers into the grass. So what you're going to see next year during Champions League is just going to be a straight grass field again. Hmm. I was the one that asked Bill about um, potentially moving games to Rogers Center for, for Champions League. And he says that's not going to happen. So... We'll see what happens. I, apparently, Rogers Center was made available to them by by the Rogers family and by by Rogers Communications. But they they are saying, and and Bill's quite right. He says, BMO Field is our home. It is the home of TFC, and we've all been there on cold, you know, late fall, early winter nights, late winter nights, and the atmosphere in BMO Field is electric. He's absolutely right. The best games that have been played at BMO obviously because of the stakes have been the playoff games and the Champions League games we'll just see how the grass holds up and uh, they're fairly assured that it will be fine and they'll be able to stitch this stuff in and that all the problems will be solved yeah and even with the grass issues they had plenty of success at BMO field during that Champions League run obviously it was a a key spot for them during all of those games. They were able to get a lot of big results there against Tigris Club America. Um, so, uh, you know, even then, it, it seems like BMO Field is the right call. We'll, obviously, we'll see. Um, there's going to be a lot, I think, still written on this. And and unfortunately, it's, it's not one of those things you want to talk about because, um, as you said, there's a lot of science involved and it's not the most exciting sports story, but it is such an important one when it comes to soccer and the playing surface that Toronto FC are playing on. So we will be looking at that of course throughout the offseason and especially when the games start up again uh, with the Champions League Um, obviously without Toronto FC the MLS playoffs uh, do continue and we saw them kicking off uh, last night um, with with the uh, play-in games um, who who are you looking at as as kind of the favorites going into this? I know you mentioned earlier a couple of them, but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting MLS Cup playoffs, obviously, because I think there's there's obviously two teams who um, well, one was tied with the point record and one broke the point record, but uh, a lot of very good teams going into this MLS Cup playoffs, and uh, especially the Eastern Conference, as has been the case in recent years, um, is going to be a major heavyweight battle. Yeah, let's talk about uh, one of those two teams that at least equaled the record, and that's Atlanta United, and they're, they're going to play New York City FC. 
I believe, if I, if I saw that correctly last night, they're going to play New York City FC. I think Atlanta could be gone by the end of this round. Based on what I've... Based, I've watched a number of Atlanta games this year. They are champagne football going, you know, in terms of going forward in attack. And they're great on their pitch at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is artificial as we, we get into grass. That's the fake grass. Um, they're really good at home. And that's, a lot of that is Almarone's speed is perfectly um, suited to, to that surface. So if he's not 100%, they are really going to miss his pace. And that was evident on Sunday night against TFC. They really missed him um, as a linchpin going forward. Martinez, I know he got the goal record. I, I like, personally, as, a, as an all-round player, I like Almiron better. They will, miss, they will miss him for sure if he is not able to go. And even if he is and not 100%, they will struggle there. They don't defend well enough. They don't defend anywhere near well enough. Uh, and that was, that was really, really quite evident at BMO Field on Sunday against TFC. And as games lock down and the intensity ratchets up in the playoffs, I don't know how well they're going to deal with that. I could be completely wrong, and they might waltz their way to the MLS Cup. But I don't <laughs> see them... I don't see them getting out of this round. Certainly if they get out of this round, I certainly don't see them getting out of the Eastern Conference. My team to get out of the Eastern Conference is New York Red Bulls. I think they became battle-hardened, and that we talk about their playoff record, and that's it's going to be an anchor around their neck until they win MLS Cup. They've won three Shields in the last six years, no MLS Cups. So that is, that is a reputation that they carry around with them. But I think last year, when they came in, to BMO Field as an underdog. Well, first they went to Chicago where they had to play the play-in game, and they won that on the road, which is not easy. Then they came in and they, they played against TFC in that, that first round, in that Eastern Conference semifinal round, and I, they came very, very close to knocking TFC out. I think they learned something about themselves. I think they learned something about what it takes to win in the playoffs, and, and that's considering that they didn't win that round, but they very easily could have. I think New York Red Bulls, to me, have been the best team that I've seen in MLS throughout this season. And it's something, I know we talk about Champions League being a big issue for TFC, and and it wasn't the Champions League itself. It was the mentality that TFC had surrounding the Champions League that was Toronto FC's problem. Red Bulls basically played the same number of Champions League games. I know the variables weren't quite as stringent as they were for TFC, but, and they didn't come out as, as badly injured as TFC, but the thing is they went in, they went back into regular season and all of those games mattered and the results were there and they have been a machine. And you look at Bradley Wright Phillips and, and that team, Royer there, Tyler Adams, they're a really, really good teams. Luis Robles is a fantastic goalkeeper. They are my pick, not just to get out of the Eastern Conference. They are my pick to win MLS Cup. The only team that I could see beating them is Seattle Sounders. And I would not be at all surprised to see Seattle back in the MLS Cup this year. And they did what they did in 2016. They did what they did in 2017. They struggled out of the gate. Uh, if you remember, they came to BMO Field back in May. They came with an undermanned side. And they were, I believe, below TFC at that point in the, in the league standings in terms of mm-hmm. points. And they took off like a rocket again this summer. Towards, in the second half of the season, they have been so, so good. I would not be surprised to see them get back. I'm also kind of partial to, uh, to Michael Bradley's father's team. Uh, LAFC, Bob coaching there. Bob, that team, that LAFC team that came to, to BMO Field in September, they're so well organized. They're very mm-hmm. organized at the back, and they've got real quality going forward as well with, with guys like Rossi and, and Vela. 
they're de- they're a dangerous team too. I think the Western Conference playoffs. We're not even mentioning mentioning Sporting Kansas City. They're another very good team. A lot of quality out in the Western Conference. We'll we'll see what happens. Uh, Portland, if if Valeri can continue to play and bang free kicks the way he did in the knockout game against FC Dallas, Portland could be a team to watch too. But my pick out of the West is Seattle. My pick out of the East, New York Red Bulls. Red Bulls finally get their hands on MLS Cup this year. There you go. There's a there's a nice little MLS Cup preview for you guys. Uh, I think, as you said, you always look at the teams who are coming in hot um, to the MLS Cup playoffs. Seattle does this every year, where they where they struggle out of the gate, and as you said, once the summer months come, they turn it around, and obviously, then they go into the playoffs in, in top form, even if uh, kind of irregardless of their spot in the standings. And and that hasn't been a great spot in recent years, just because, as you said, they've left it a little late to make the playoffs. Uh, you look at a DC United as well; haven't lost in their last nine. They could be a tough side, but. Those New York Red Bulls only lost one game in their last 13 matches en route to the playoff record. Um, And on Atlanta United, um, I I kind of agree. I think uh, even with Toronto FC, even when they had that point record and they played such fantastic soccer the whole season, you have to be able to win ugly in the playoffs. And there wasn't a single, other than probably that MLS Cup final, there wasn't a single pretty win for Toronto FC in those playoffs last year, uh, but they were able to grind it out and get the job done. That brings us to the end of our show. Mike, thanks for hopping on. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Uh, just another team to watch. You talk about hot teams going into the MLS Cup playoffs. Wayne Rooney in the MLS Cup final. DC United, mm-hmm. man, they shot up the table as well. Uh, one, one final thing, though, about Seattle. Brian Schmetzer, yeah. men, I'm, I'm thinking back to the the post-MLS Cup final news conference, Brian Schmetzer said that it was important for Seattle to, to, to host that game because they had come to Toronto two years in a row. They did get it the first time, but didn't the second. If it's Red Bulls or Atlanta, Seattle would have to go on the road in order to play uh, MLS Cup again. Only if those two teams get knocked out would Seattle potentially host a, an MLS Cup final. But again, thank you very much for having me, Mitchell. I, I uh, Always a pleasure to join you. Yeah, it would have been great to have a Rooney's Latan final, but obviously uh, the LA Galaxy weren't able to get it done. Uh, if you want to talk about a collapse this season, that's probably right up there with the top of uh, the collapses in the league. But um, while Toronto FC's Season may be over. There's still plenty of soccer to look forward to. We'll cover the MLS Cup playoffs on this show, as well as plenty of developing stories in the Canadian soccer landscape, including the Canadian Premier League. But until then, have a good week, everyone.